We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your host, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. This is episode number 99. Scott, we teased it back in spring training. Would Aaron Judge be in the big leagues by the time we reached episode 99? In fact, he was, so we got to dedicate it to the big guy in right field. Yeah, thankfully he kept the same number. We were all wondering if 99 was going to be the number he was going to wear in the Bronx, and he did, so definitely thankful for that. Hopefully the dude can come back start swinging the the bat a little better and uh, able to hit that curveball that's a, a big thing because 99 might might go down in, in history as a as a number you you want to forget if he doesn't so hopefully hopefully Aaron Judge is the guy that we want him to be is Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn the most famous number 99 in baseball ever even though he's a fictitious character probably just because there aren't very many of them i mean it just not many people wear 99 that's why. It so was yeah, perfect. I'd have to say that. I think I, I think the fact that Judge was wearing ninety nine in the minors got me even more excited for him. 
Uh, and uh, the fact that he kept it, like you just said, is huge. So, Scott, you have had quite the eventful weekend. Just a little behind the scenes for you guys listening. Scott, who lives down in Virginia Beach, got hit by that hurricane. What was it, Hurricane Matthew? Hurricane Michael? I don't even know what the name of it was. It was Matthew, and it wasn't even supposed to come through here. It was supposed to stop and turn, and it didn't. It just kept climbing up the coast and climbing and climbing. And, uh, yeah, and it, and it nailed us. We had, like, 90-mile-an-hour winds. I mean, it wasn't, like, you know, the, the big cat ones that were hitting like South Carolina and North Carolina, but it did hit us. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. So I was out without power for like two and a half days and just got it back like an hour ago, which is perfect timing for episode 99. Yeah, we Obviously somebody, somebody wanted me to do a podcast. We weren't sure that for a second, I thought I was going to have to record by myself because it was getting late in the day. We didn't know if you we were going to have power or not. So we couldn't secure someone else. Uh, to do the podcast, and I was I was thinking for a second I might just have to ramble for an hour by myself. I think that would have gotten pretty weird. <laughs> yeah, talking to yourself is a glass case of emotion. I don't, know, I don't know what you would have done. Who do you who would you have argued with? You <laughs> complained to yourself. I think I would have just bitched about Masahiro Tanaka for forty five minutes straight, and no one would have told me to shut up. <laughs> Yeah, so, that would have been. Luckily, it worked out. We didn't, so nobody has everyone, to. Nobody yeah. has to deal with that. Everyone who's listening is like, "Thank God, Scott's power came yeah. back." They're even. I don't know if you've read the some of the the reviews lately on iTunes, but the 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 whole Tanaka conversation that you bring up constantly is now in the being complained about in the reviews. No way. Five, yeah, it was a five star review, so the guy was very nice. I appreciate I had, it. When was this a very recent? Yeah, Review? it was pretty recent. I saw it the other day. I got to go check it out because I have not yeah. read those in at least a month. But that that's pretty funny. I think um, the the I I am putting the Tanaka thing to bed. Uh, I got into it again with some people on Twitter when Bumgarner shut down the giant or excuse me shut down the Mets last week. Uh, and I know you you hate it. You said before I do not want to get into the whole Bumgarner trace thing. I would just quickly mention that uh, Bumgarner's a freak and watching what he was able to do. I, it's like you knew he was going to be good, but then he goes out there and doesn't even let you touch the Giants' bullpen, which is horrible. Um, and he's The guy's on a whole other level. No, he is. He's a, he is a freak. That's exactly that's – a, that's a, I mean, the guy's going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, that's, that's – he's, a, he's, he's a, a truly special guy, and the, the truly special guys like that turn on a, 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 just a different level when the, when the uh, postseason comes, and – I mean, he's he's crazy how how good he is and how durable and how much he fights for it. And I mean, you know, Bochi didn't he couldn't even talk to him in the game, let alone approach him about taking him out. I mean, it was no, no it was chance. a zero chance. And, and then when that. they got the lead, uh, I, he ran out there to to make sure that the because he was getting pinch hit for, but they ran, he ran out there to make sure that he wasn't announced. The dude's a competitor, and you got to appreciate that. Yeah, the wild card games were pretty interesting. Um, I know. So I, I, again, I heard it. So. The last couple of years with this whole one-game wildcard playoff, people bitch and moan that the whole season 162 games comes down to this one day for these teams, and it's unfair. And then if you run into a pitcher like Arietta last year or Bumgarner this year, you have no shot. And to that I say, well, I mean, those are wildcard teams. Those aren't division winner teams. I, I think it's awesome that the, it, the whole setup now rewards the division winner. You get to automatically advance to the longer series, and it's a it's a crapshoot for those wildcard teams. You, they weren't good enough to win their divisions, so hey, let it come down to a one-game playoff. I think that's, I mean, there's nothing better than a baseball game seven, and that's essentially what we have now to kick off the playoffs every year. That's freaking awesome. The only thing I'll say about that is I mean, people complain about it, which I, I don't really understand the complaint because 
What, what about the guy that didn't make it that was fighting to the last day and had a one game to win or, or not win and they didn't make it? I mean, it's it, it just that's just kind of how it works out sometimes. So that that's why I, that's why I think it's a it's such a, a weird area, a gray area, if you're calling it a playoff game because it's one game. So uh, the but the thing I'll say is that when you play that game and you have to throw everybody and everybody to play that one game and to you know to, to play a game seven because in game sevens. Everybody's available, right? Yeah. Same thing with this type of thing. And then the winner, if it's a close game, that wild card's a close game, the winner has to throw everybody in the kitchen sink to win the game if it's close. And then they they roll right into a five-game series, completely depleted. That's that's where I, I find it a, a bit of a disservice to the team that even wins that game. No, because but they, they, that's the whole point of it is to not reward the wild card team. Back when the wild card started in 1995 through whatever it was, 2011, 2012, when I don't even know how long this one game has been going for. I think three years. The wild card team had no disadvantage. I mean, they didn't have home field advantage, which is what? 2% less of an advantage, like 48% to 52% if you start Unless a series the on the road. Okay, yeah, but I mean, there's certain teams. But generally speaking, they automatically advance. I mean, there was really no... You'd see teams shut it down because they knew they had the wild card locked up. They wouldn't even go for a division because there, there was really no penalty for it. Now yeah, there's that's a huge the, that's, penalty. But the thing, I understand that, but the thing is, is you, you, the penalty is you have to play that one game. Then they have another penalty because they have are, are depleted going into a five-game series. It so, would be a different story to me if it was a seven-game series. because right. but, but because it's a short series also and you're you're already coming in there, depleted with you know who knows i mean if you look at what some of these some of these teams what happens is they throw everybody and then you know who's available the next time or they have to throw their ace on that day then that guy's not able to pitch for another you know four days and and they might be down 2-0 i mean we're seeing what, what what's going down with uh with boston and and how ter- and, uh, texas was was down i mean granted their their guys got hit but I'm just saying, when you're down 2-0 in a five-game series, that's a huge, huge hole. Yeah, so I think your point about the seven-game series versus the five-game series is legit. I would be fine if they moved the division round to a seven-game series. I think the fact that the baseball playoffs the baseball playoffs move quickly no matter what because they play every day with a couple off days for travel. It's not like NBA or NHL where they take two, sometimes three days off in between games. It goes on for two and a half months. It's ridiculous. The playoffs are over by the end of October, and it's great. So I, I don't think adding two extra games to the division series would really make that much of a difference. You are absolutely right. A five-game series, it's like by the time you realize it and you're already down maybe 2-0 like pretty much all these teams were, you're kind of screwed at that point. And it really yeah. it really does, you're right, put the, te- the wildcard team in a di- disadvantage that way because Bumgarner couldn't pitch until game three, and he's their best pitcher. So I understand exactly. that. I would be fine if they moved it to a seven-game series. But people saying they should move the wild card game to a three-game series, I completely disagree with. Yeah, I don't mind the the one the one game. I mean, even even it affected us in an adverse way. Obviously, last uh, year they were gonna get they were gonna lose no matter what. But that the thing is, I know. But series. I'm saying that it's I'm not I'm not just I'm not just talking about this. I mean, it's it's our own team involved with it as well. I'm fine with the one game for for the play-in to get there. But yeah, I agree. It should absolutely be a seven game. I mean, if you have a legit series in the playoffs, it should be seven games. Yeah, and um, one thing I do want to mention still from those wild card games, uh, you and I re- recorded last two or last Monday. And then that that AL wildcard game was on Tuesday night. That was an epic game. Uh, but Buck Showalter not using Britain is just inexcusable. 
I don't know how you can have, like you just said, a kitchen sink game where everyone is available. And Britain, who is in line for, like, Cy Young, potentially. And he didn't even get in that game. It's it's insane. I mean, imagine if Joe Girardi in a, in a one-game playoff left... Uh, left Andrew Miller if he was still on the team, or left Dylan Batances on the bench, or if Joe Torre left Mariano Rivera on the bench. We would we'd be livid. So there's two areas where, where Britain absolutely should have been in the game. Uh, you know, the, the first one being, you just you just go with him if it's a tie game. Because there's there's so many arguments, people coming in, well, why wasn't he starting the, the 10th, or why wasn't he starting the 9th? Well, if he's not starting the 9th, then when is he starting? Because cause at that point, like, you know, you're, you're bringing your guy in, uh, you're bringing your guy in without a lead because there can't be a lead because you're away. So it's it's a strange situation. I understand that. So you, you got to bring him in at some point. And why is the ninth different from the tenth at that point? You know what I mean? Like it's that's not much different. But the big point, the big spot where he absolutely <laughs> comes in is that when you're when when Ebaldo yeah. Jimenez. Ex- yeah. Let me say that again. Ebaldo Jimenez, who is horrible. You know, apparently he was doing very well at the end of the year. I, I didn't. He wasn't on my radar, so I didn't notice. But you got a guy who, in Britain, who like you were talking about, a Cy Young candidate. This is a guy that was like, you know, everybody's he's the greatest greatest pitcher in baseball right now, and he's a ground ball pitcher. And you need a double play. Why are you not bringing in your guy? It's it's you you're 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 rolling the season on Baldo Jimenez, where you have a ground ball pitcher, Cy Young candidate, waiting and ready to throw. Makes no sense. The fact that Baldo Jimenez pitched before Britain is fireable in my mind. That's like if 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 Ivan Nova was still on the Yankees and he pitched in a game before Dylan Batances. It would in a game seven. It would be inexcusable. You got to fire a manager for that. And if Buck Showalter does get fired, looks like Buck the Orioles will, not getting fired. Looks like the Orioles will probably win the World Series in the next three years because everywhere he goes and gets fired, that team wins the World Series. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see him getting fired. I mean, that dude has a a, a stranglehold on that job in in Baltimore. But it's yeah, a huge, it was, it's a huge gaff. It's a huge gaff. I have a I have a buddy who's an Orioles fan, and he was he was livid. He was down in Baltimore. The whole bar he said that he was at was was. It wasn't even like anger. It was just confusion. Confusion. Like, like why is yeah. this not happening? Yeah. Like, you thought for a second, like, everyone thought that maybe Britain's hurt. And then, okay, your guy's hurt. But he wasn't hurt. And right after the game, Britain said, no, I was fine. I was ready to go in. He warmed up three times. So, confusion is almost like the worst as a fan. It's like, why isn't this happening? You've moved past anger and, and you're just confused why your manager is acting. It, it turns into anger later. Don't worry. Oh, right. But, but, <laughs> but in a one game playoff, you're just. You, you just are at our loss for words. So yeah, dumbfounded. And um, the the Blue Jays are now having to ban cans of beer from their stadium because fans uh, are throwing stuff on the field. This is two years in a row now. They get into the playoffs. They hadn't been there in twenty years, and then they get rowdy, can't handle their liquor, start throwing stuff at players. Yeah, I, I remember my first beer. <laughs> that these these guys. Are, are out of control. I mean, they don't know how to be fans. I guess they they haven't been fans since the, with the Joe Carter. Well, so the guy who you, you got to retrain yourself. Yeah, the guy who was at that game, probably the last game he was at, also threw something on the field because it was last year's playoff games. It's pr- it's pretty crazy now. If you do anything, like there's a giant witch hunt after you. The, don't don't act like you're not going to be on camera somewhere. You will be on camera. Oh. I don't care where you are or who you are. We there was you, they will find you. There was video footage on Twitter, like forty like. 
four or five minutes after that happened. It was amazing. Yeah. You just you can't do anything bad anymore because you're gonna get caught. There's just no hiding. And it's crazy. Toronto just rolled through Texas. That was a I was actually thought Texas was gonna win. They they had the best record in the AL. What they win, ninety five games and they get absolutely trounced. Uh the Hamels got lit up. I mean and this so is a Darvish. guy who's who's pitched well. Yeah, Hamels and Darvish both got crushed and, and that Toronto lineup when it's going well, the middle it's of that tough. order is just deadly. Yeah. And Encarnacion is on fire, and he's a free agent. Couldn't have come at a better time for him. I was looking up some numbers on Encarnacion. Since 2012, he's like top five in every power category in, in the league. Home runs, RBIs, OPS, slugging percentage. I mean, kind of quietly is one of the best power hitters in the league. Yeah, on all the – I want to say it was Francesa when he had uh, Ron Darling on, and he also had Joe Girardi talking about – they were talking about the playoffs in general and talking about this Toronto series, and both of those guys said the the one guy you really need to watch out for it's not Batista, it's not Donaldson, it's Encarnacion. He's the one who's going to get you and got him. And and like you know how sometimes you look at the stats for players in Toronto and at home they're like lighting it up. They have twice as many home runs because maybe there's something fishy going on there with the with the roof open or if they're relaying signs, but he's got pretty much equal stats on the road, so he he's pretty legit. Yeah, he's gonna get a boatload of money. It's the only like thing said, is good, he's good a little bit older. He's a little bit older. Just like Bautista's a little bit older. But um yeah, I mean there's rumors that the Red Sox are interested in Encarnacion as being their DH and it would just be going from one Yankee killer to the next if they go from Ortiz to Encarnacion. And uh, speaking of Ortiz, I am praying. I believe the Red Sox are down 2 nothing in the game and 2 nothing in the series right now. But I am praying that we are currently watching Ortiz's last ever baseball game. Yeah, so I, I turned it off when we started. They're down or they're up 2 nothing. or the, the Indians are? Indians, that, last I saw, were up 2-zip. Um, nice. Buckholtz just gave up a, a single... R- RBI single, I forget who hit it, um, but uh, that that means Andrew Miller's coming in for a I couple know, right? innings. Dude, I mean that that was great how Francona used him in the first game. Brings him in in the fifth inning. Yeah, I mean Girardi would never do something like that. Miller went over to Cleveland and told Terry Francona, "Use me like a Swiss Army knife. I will pitch whenever." And instead of just being his closer, he used him. He never used him as early as the fifth inning, but he did use him in the sixth inning a few times this year. And he kind of just puts out fires wherever it's needed. Sometimes the game is most critical in the fifth or sixth inning. And come the ninth inning, you don't need your closer. So it's kind of genius how Francona has used Andrew Miller, and it's working out so far. I just wish that Girardi would be a little bit more open to something like that. Well, that's the thing. He The, the two managers are completely different, polarizing opposite styles in, in managing. Francona is definitely more of the... The you know how you feel type how's your how's the guy feel like he'll he'll let a guy ride uh, for another inning if he if he says he's okay or he'll come in and bring like like you're like you use Miller in the fifth or sixth inning just to get out of a situation he's definitely more of a player manager I think and has the trust of those guys and allows them a, a longer leash and ha- and gives them some say and he's definitely more open to things whereas Girardi you know he's got a binder and if it's in the binder that's what's happening but so I- he's he's very cut and dry. But I actually think that Girardi being so stats-oriented would like something like using Andrew Miller in the most high-leverage part of the game. That's yeah, but the, binder doesn't, but the binder doesn't have any stats using Andrew Miller or a closer I'm in the fifth inning. I'm starting to believe he the know binder what that looks is like. just a picture book, and there's not actually any stats in there. 
<laughs> the fact, but the the whole thing with sabermetrics is that sometimes the fifth inning has higher leverage than the ninth inning. So you use your best guy when the game is at its turning point. And for game one of that division series, Boston-Cleveland, it was in the fifth inning when the Red Sox were coming back. And Andrew Miller, I believe, got the middle of that order out and then pitched yes. another two innings. That was when the game could have turned. And Francona didn't let it. If if he had if, – if put the Yankees in that situation and your starter is struggling in the fifth inning and you have – and. You could go to your best guys in the bullpen, but more likely Girardi would go to a guy like Blyer or Swarzak or somebody who's terrible because it's the fifth inning and it would it's not the seventh or the eighth inning. That's the only reason he would do it, but he would do it. I mean, maybe you'd see Adam Warren there, but Adam Warren's You would, not you would see Adam Warren there. But, yeah, you're but, right. I mean, Adam Warren is 50% of Andrew Miller. Yeah, well, the numbers the numbers don't say that at the end of the year. I mean, the, the, our, 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 uh, what, what did we? What, yeah. what was the name I, I had for them? I don't even remember what the hell it was. But it was lots clip, of was, runs. DMC. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, clip and uh, and the T clip and the T clip and the beast. Yeah. So I mean, they the fact is that those guys had the very similar numbers does not do justice what those no. guys did beforehand or who they are. But yes, you're right. I mean, he would use Adam Warren or he would use Blyer. He would go with a middle relief guy at that point. And uh, yeah, I like it. I think it's something that people got to open their eyes to. I think it's it's different. And it's not something it's, it's done all the time. So who knows? Maybe this is the new shifting. Maybe this is something that's a, a trend, a hot hot new trend that Francona's uh, starting. And it's going to be something that's going to be implemented into the season next year. Girardi does like his trends. I mean, he started shifting after... after uh, Homeboy started doing it in Tampa Bay, so there was a there were there were a lot of a lot of adjustments to that way. But it's usually the next year after a lot of time to think about it. Yeah, and even when Girardi had the big three in the bullpen at the beginning of the year, he was still pretty regimented in his seventh, eighth, ninth inning. And I was calling for times when it would be Miller or Batances in the fifth inning because the Yankees, you know, whoever it was, Avaldi uh, was at 105 pitches and coming out with an, a one out in the fifth inning. And instead of going to a mediocre reliever like uh, whoever, he should have gone to Batances, and it just didn't happen. And maybe would have saved the game, and in the long run, can save can save your season. So, uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll start seeing that trend go throughout baseball. It kind of puts pressure on the opposing team in the playoffs because you got Andrew Miller looming at any point in the game. Yeah, no, it's totally, it's it's actually. I mean, you think about it more and more. I mean, when you have an opportunity for the for your best pitcher to come and and meet the the heart of the lineup on the third time around, if that's the case, if you're, if your start, starter is struggling at that point, I mean you're buying yourself another two innings at that point, and who knows what you're going to do offensively? There's just a lot of things that can happen in that. It's interesting. I mean, with with the amount of you know specialized, it's it's just increasing more the amount of specialized relievers we're having in in the bigs. I mean, I could absolutely see this happening more often. And last thing about this is that it just further expands all of Yankee fans love for Andrew Miller I mean the dude is an absolute animal he'll do whatever it takes for the team he did not bitch when Chapman came in he gladly took the eighth inning role he didn't demand the closer role when he went to Cleveland like Jonathan Papelbon did when he went to Washington he just wants to win and that is the best trait in players yep I appreciate it I'm rooting for him yeah hell yeah all right, uh, that's the last we'll touch on in the playoffs. Again, like I said, hopefully this is David Ortiz going away party tonight. But um, Cashman did his State of the Yankees press conference, which he does at the end of every year. 
the last few years it's come a lot earlier than normal. But uh, I just want to talk about a few takeaways from this. I thought it was kind of funny that he said the uh, the offense and middle relief pitching are the biggest needs on this team. It's like, thank you, Captain Obvious, for stating what we all know if you just watched a little bit of this team this year. But uh, middle relief is one of those things where isn't it the weakness on every team? Well, see, that's the thing where he said the the, the biggest need was a middle relief I mean, the the middle relief isn't as much of a need if you have better starting pitching. So there's, it's kind of a little of both. But yes, I, usually middle relief is, you know, filled with one or two, uh, you know, journeyman guys who have been on like 30 teams and then a bunch of young dudes. And then you have your big boys at the end and you have your starting pitchers and you get you have guys to get the ball from one to the other. Yeah. So I wouldn't really put it on as a, as a, as a need for the offseason because it kind of just happens. Yeah, if you were a shutdown fifth inning guy, you wouldn't be a fifth inning guy. You right. Would, you would move into a, a more important role. Um, but all, as far as offense goes, I think that we saw the offense pick up towards the end of the year. Um, they still need to make additions, I think. But with with the fact that Sanchez will be in the lineup from day one, and I think if Girardi focuses all of his good hitters – at the top of the order, like Didi and Castro and Judge and Bird, then this offense will be more consistent. There's definitely a lot more guys now that that can hit the ball. That I mean, you know, I'm a big average guy. I I think it's a, a lost stat that needs to be back in play because it's it, it's it's such an important to me. It's such an important stat in today's baseball because the the other important stat that everybody is pressing on it's such a such a hot thing is the the home runs and strikeouts strikeouts are acceptable because the home run ball comes behind it but you need guys on base for that to happen you need guys to to hit for average around those those guys that you're going to be accept the strikeout so yes I, I think when you look at the young guys i think there's a lot more contact in some of these uh, outfielders that we're bringing in with sanchez obviously uh hit for average this year and hopefully he can continue that i, I definitely see a, him dipping in average um but you know, I think 280 is 280, 285 is probably more of what I'm going to expect from him long term. And then Bird, I mean Bird, I, Bird hits for a decent average too. So these guys all can make contact, and I think it's that's definitely a, a plus, especially for consistency. Yeah, there's going to be some competitions as well for some of these guys. Um, Austin, I think, was a lot more consistent at the end of the year. He'll be in the running for, I believe, first base along with Bird, uh, Cashman said. And then you kind of got a, a a jumble of guys, Judge, Hicks, and Ref Snyder out in rough, right field all all competing for a spot. Although I see Ref Snyder and Austin really as that fighting for that platoon guy where he could play the outfield and he can also play first base. No, no, no. There's no doubt about it. And you know what? Like Hicks is the guy that he's exactly the opposite of the guy that I kind of want. He doesn't hit for much power. He doesn't hit for average. He has a 105-mile-an-hour cannon from right field, but that's all you're getting from that guy. I mean, I, I know he he came on and played a little better at the end of the year, but unless I see something in spring training, I, I don't know how you move forward with a guy like that I, with with the amount of outfielders because you got to throw Mason Williams into the into the mix now too. He's a guy that played very well at the end of the year who's been a prospect for a long time, a top guy in the Yankee system, and he's shown now that he's healthy, he can hit, and he's, you know, a plus athlete. I, they said, I don't even know if I mentioned this the last time, but I heard uh, someone was talking about that Mason Williams was the fastest guy in the Yankee organization. I was very surprised when I heard that. I didn't know that. 
That and, sounds uh, like one of those things where that it like they were saying if Eraldis Chapman were a position player, he'd steal eighty bases. It's like, well, why isn't that materialized? Well, I mean, he's been hurt for so long. I haven't even I don't even remember seeing him play for such a long time. I forgot about Mason Williams. That's how hurt he was. But the fact is he's played himself back into a conversation. Yes. Yeah. With the last couple weeks of baseball. And didn't you hear about Aaron Hicks that he hits right handed uh, right handed? Excuse me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, he that hits was left handed pitching. That was the big that was the big rumor. We were told that all year, even to like the last day of the season that Aaron Hicks is a good right handed hitter. That's why he's there once. Yeah, no, that's why he was there <laughs> to um, counter to counter all the lefties. Cashman was asked about uh, Betances, and that was a big point for us the last few weeks of the season. Is Betances going to be the closer next year? I'm not surprised by his answer. He said we view Betances as a closer, and I think they'll be fine if he is the closer next year. But uh, he's not ruling out the possibility of signing another free agent closer. I'm assuming. Reading between the lines, he's talking about Chapman because I don't know if you'd really go big money on any of the other guys like Mark Melanson or anyone like that. Well, the other guy, the only other guy that is uh, the Dodgers closer, Jansen, he's a free agent as well, I believe. So he's another big name guy that that's had a lot of success. So uh, th- those would be the two guys, but yeah, it's, it's Chapman's the obvious guy. I mean, he, there's already been rumors, and you know he's tweeted. What was it? His Twitter picture that he changed. It was a, in a Yankee, or he tweeted something in a Yankee uniform. Recently, he's been talking about it. I mean, that's the obvious guy that they're going to be going after. And you know, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I kind of want it to happen more than I used to. Definitely, I'm, I'm leaning towards. You got, uh, yeah, you let those signs. you let those last few hiccups by Betances get to you. Uh, yeah, I did. Well, I, I I've realized that when you have a lot of when you have a lot of youth and a little there's still uncertainty, but we have a lot of youth coming in, and I think our offense is going to be better. I think now is even you know going to be a better time when we have a good end of the bullpen <laughs> because we'll actually have some leads. <laughs> so you think uh, the first it half of work next now. year, first half yeah. of next year, you'll wish we had the the big three bullpen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be yeah. Close BMC would be awesome next year. Right. And I'm sure that everyone will be saying that, even though it, the young people wouldn't be possible if they didn't trade. The this is no. This is all true. I'm, I'm not. I'm not complaining. Chicken about or the that. egg situation here. Yes, I'm very happy about what what occurred. Um, but but yeah, it's a it's just it was a flawed system from the beginning. He he touched on like some other stuff that we've already said. Brian McCann is on this team right now, and he has a spot, but he's not ruling out trades. Nothing surprising there. Uh, one thing that did kind of catch my eye was that Jack Curry during the press conference tweeted that Jorge Mateo has seen some time in center field in the instructional league. Yeah, and I, that's that is interesting because I think they they know that they have a a plethora of of middle infielders, and they have two guys on the on the roster currently on the you know on the the starting team that is gonna that, that should be around for a while. I mean, this is the, the the biggest home run duo in in a in Yankees history. That's crazy. When that stack flashed up there, when we realized that it was happening, it was such a shock. But it's true. I mean, I still see Castro going to third base at some point, but there there, there still are a lot of uh, you know, you have um, you have a lot of middle infielders in the minor leagues that are that are high prospects. So Torres, obviously, is the guy we got from from uh, the the Cubs is a, is a big guy. And Mateo's got the athleticism, I think, to to move around. So I think they want to see what happens. Yeah, if I don't not know. For a trade chip too. Watch out for that. Yeah. So Mateo's it's been interesting because they they flirted with him at second base and now they're flirting with him in center field. 
kind of just seems like they're shifting him around to see what sticks against the wall. It, in a, I don't know if I if I should be happy about this or are slightly concerned that they haven't really found a position for him. And it's also detriment to him. He hasn't played well enough over this past year to warrant being locked into one position. No, he definitely had a down year. So the I mean when you when you get out of that shortstop spot and you start moving around, to me, why not? Let's just go let's just see where else you can play. Uh, because it just adds versatility for for you know the the club to do either make a move or or put him in a different place. It opens up a, a spot in in Trenton because he's still got to make that jump, um, you know, two more two more leagues to get to the Bronx. So he's got to have some flexibility, especially with the amount of talent that's in front of him. Let's hope that him sort of getting a slap on the wrist this year turns his attitude attitude around, like it happened for Gary Sanchez. Gary Remember Sanchez, two yeah. years ago. Sanchez in Trenton had an attitude problem and they kind of had to sit him down and tell him you got to get your shit together or else you're going to be out of here. I mean, Sanchez was signed for for relatively big money for an international free agent at like 16 years old. And uh, he probably let that money and and stardom get to him. Uh, And then he turned it around. Obviously, let's hope Mateo can do that. Yeah, I mean, people mature when they get older. I can't even imagine having money at 16 years old and people you know praising you i that just doesn't even make sense to me i mean it, it doesn't make sense to me at like 19 to, to for that for that to happen either but yeah i mean the, it's such a unique situation when you come in not only you're coming in at 16 years old but you're coming in from a different country and everybody is catering to you and you know you're the guy you're the guy you're the guy everywhere you go so yeah you got to have some mental toughness there and you got to be you got to be humbled enough to to grow into that 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 type of spot i mean it's it's a very unique position for anybody to be in. I remember in the podcast you did about Gleyber Torres, the um, I'm drawing a blank on his name from the Pelicans. Uh, the yes. announcer that you interviewed from the Pelicans was talking about how Torres doesn't have an attitude and he's a leader in the clubhouse and he's only 19 years old and he 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 very it could be understandable if he did let all that stuff get to his head, but he actually is kind of more like cut from the Derek Jeter cloth, where this dude's going to be a leader. Yeah, Scott Kornberg is the announcer. The he definitely had everything positive to say about Torres and not only that but like the dude was just a humble, nice guy, very respectful, uh, treated everybody the, pretty much the same from, you know, the guys in the clubhouse to all the announcers and such. So there's nothing but he said nothing but positive things about him. But yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. And maybe who knows, maybe Mateo working with Torres for, you know, a season or or three half of a season had some impact on him. He's like, okay, this guy is light years in front of me. Mature maturity wise. I got to step it up. I got to ground myself. I got to, you know, start, start playing better baseball and stop acting like a jackass. So, uh, final thing from that press conference that was a takeaway for me was that new contracts have not been extended to Girardi or Cashman. They're both up at the end of 2017. I don't, I, I think that if I had to project, they both get new contracts but what do you think would have to happen this year for both to get to not get contracts at the end of next year? Well, I think that Girardi, this is what we were talking about. This is a big year because I think that Girardi has to show that these guys are, are you know, gaining the, the confidence to play in the major leagues and are, are improving. And this, the team, I think the Yankee organization, after what they saw in the second half, they think this team can compete next year. And I think they want to see that. I think they want 
this team to be competitive and right there at the end. I, you know, whether whether that's a that's a statement in you know in their imagination or something that they they it's it's a little bit outside the reach to me. It's their borderline, but I think the Yankees organization sees that, and I think they're gonna. I think it's more on Girardi than Cashman. I think Cashman this year earned himself another extension for sure. Yeah, Cashman kind of dug his claws into this team by trading away a lot of the veterans and bringing in new prospects. You almost have to let him see these this wave yeah. of prospects through. No doubt. Unless he decides he doesn't want any more of it. He wants to go to another team. Um but I, I don't I mean I think he's been with the Yankees for pretty much his whole career. He I don't think wants to leave. I mean I don't know him, but I think as Steinbrenner ownership, you have to let Cashman see this team through and if he falls flat on his face maybe in 2020 you can fire him but i think it would be doing the organization a disservice to not let him see this this group through yeah i mean there's been nothing but positive things about cashman this year i mean well look what he got from the the offseason that he had without signing a, a, a you know a good free agent i think they ended up signing one guy i don't even remember who it was no at the end of the zero year. zero free agent no there signs. was one at the end they would sign one guy at the end and it was a journeyman dude i forget who it was but they they didn't everything. All the moves, the major moves, were done through trades. Yeah, and Ca- Cashman was a wizard. In my opinion, he did very, 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 very well, and he flipped this into gold. I mean, I think Castro had a terrific year, and I think that that Cashman buying not terrific, uh, buying very good, very good year. I, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a terrific year. I thought he had a good year, and especially it to the second Stephen half. Drew. Yes, I mean, what the? F- I'm comparing it to every second baseman that we've seen since Robbie. I think Robbie Cano. he had a very, very he had a tremendous second half. But when the Yankees needed him in June and July, he was non-existent, swinging at everything. Either way, Cashman absolutely did his job, and I thought he did uh, an extreme. I thought he did one of the best GM jobs over this year that I've seen in a long time. Cashman, the trading GM, is fantastic. Yeah, he finds gold everywhere. Cashman, the free agent GM over the last three seasons, has been terrible. Yeah, so, but you you and I disagree on on where that pressure is coming from. I think. Uh, okay, We've talked but, about but all. This. I'm saying is that he's the guy. He's the face of it. So you have to. Someone needs to be blamed. So I'm blaming Cashman. That's all yeah, I can do. As, as a I fan, guess is blame Cashman for the contracts he dished out. Now, if it was Steinbrenner or whatever. I know we talked about this in an episode a few like a month or two back. We don't know. All we know is Brian Cashman gave 153 million dollars to Jacoby Ellsbury and that was a huge mistake. He gave 85 million dollars to Brian McCann, which was an overpayment. He didn't sign Robinson Cano, which you can agree with as long as you don't then go out and sign 7 years to Jacoby Ellsbury. So there's just a lot of things that don't add up in my brain with Brian Cashman's free agent stuff. But as far as his trades go, getting Chapman for nothing, flipping him for a high-level prospect, getting uh, Castro for Adam Warren, and then getting Adam Warren back is ridiculous. <laughs> um, I mean, even a number of the smaller... And Brendan Ryan. We, hold on, we gave up Brendan Ryan, too. I forgot, don't, that was a nice dis- mustache. He had a good Don't mustache. dismiss the mustache. But what I'm saying is, if it's like, if you could just... Get rid of that Jacoby Ellsbury contract. This team would be in such a different place right now. And it's like, it's like he blacked out. Cashman blacked out. He got drunk one night and just called but up Ellsbury's Ellsbury's that... uh, uh, agent Boris and was like, "Yeah, let's give him everything, whatever you want, blank check." But doesn't that isn't that exactly the like the the list you just rattled off of the trades 
and then that one free agent signing. There's just something that doesn't make sense there. I know. Because there's such different players, like where he's getting people at a point where they're not at their highest market there you know there's a little bit of a of something going on there whereas Ellsbury was at the very very top of his market you know he's not going to get signed for anything less it's just it, it doesn't make sense it doesn't seem like it's the same guy making those moves in my opinion I, that's why I believe there was pressure there I I still hold true to the fact that it was a reaction he had money to spend he had a checkbook burning in his pocket Steinbrenner told him you have x number of dollars to to put into this team in the offseason. And as soon as Robinson Cano signed in Seattle, he had to give that money to somebody else, and he gave it to the quote-unquote best player on the market, and that was Jacoby Ellsbury. Maybe, maybe. Uh, the Yankees also re-signed Larry Rothschild, so World Series, here we come. You ready to get into some mailbags? We got some voicemails. We do. We, we promise voicemails. voicemails. We promise voicemails on the last episode. So, Greg, this one's been sitting in our uh, Google Drive for a couple weeks now. So, the first one is from Greg. Hey, guys. Greg, second time caller. One of the things that I saw kind of writing on the wall when I came to some of the mid-season trades was when they had gotten Gleyber Torres and having uh, Mateo at shortstop as well. I know that they put Taylor, second since then. I still believe that Torres is a trade chip. I, I still believe that they're going to go after a top tier pitcher. And it seems like one of those options would be Chris Sale. And um, I really do believe that Torres and maybe one of their uh, outfielders, because they're so stacked in the outfield now, would probably be you know, the two of the top tier trade chips to get somebody like Chris Sale or another top tier pitcher. Uh, you know, there's questions regarding Sale that he you know, viable in New York is something that he can actually handle. Those are all still up in the air with his attitude and a lot of the issues he has. I'd love to hear uh, some of your guys' opinion on that. Go Yankees. All right, thank you, Greg, for the voicemail. Uh, he's asking uh, pretty much a question that we've all been asking and I know was, was asked in the press conference. Will the Yankees flip some of these prospects for a frontline starting pitcher? He named Chris Sale as an example. Yeah, so the Chris Sale move, I mean, obviously you're going to have to give uh, th- probably the biggest bounty for a guy like Chris Sale. I think the uh, the scissor gate is is in the rearview mirror. I don't think anybody really is putting any uh, any like lost value on that, the fact. I'm not putting that in the rearview mirror. That worries I think, me. I I don't think a lot of GMs are. I think that's going to be with the with the way that the pitching market looks now. It, nobody cares about that. They will take their chances. Well, let me ask this question. Does Chris Sale come with Drake LaRoche? The is that the son? Yeah. <laughs> that I can't answer. Because I, I don't if know he what... does, if Drake LaRoche is gonna be making appearances in the Yankee Stadium clubhouse, I agree. Chris Sale, ace, number one pitcher. But without him, yeah, I don't know. So that means Adam LaRoche has to be on the team and he no, may no, no, he may I quit. Don't, don't he may I, quit. I no part of Adam LaRoche. Just well, there his you son. Go. <laughs> sign his son to a clubhouse contract. He could be Chris Sale's. Him, he could be Chris Sale's interpreter. Yeah, make make him make him a gopher for for Chris Sale. No, I th- I think it's perfect. He'll, Chris Sale will just forget how to speak English, and he'll be the interpreter. I think it's a great job. No more no more interviews. They all go through the kid. <laughs> Every no, I just <laughs> that'd be hilarious actually. But I don't I don't see them going after Chris Sale, just because I think it's going to be such a bad. Okay, yeah. Let's and, play the game. Let's play the game. Who yeah. are we talking about? Who are the White Sox asking for Chris Sale? 
Oh, they're asking for your top prospect. So they're 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 probably asking for major leaguers at that point. So they'll they'll ask for Gary Sanchez. I was going to say they're first going to ask for Gary at. Sanchez. Yeah, exactly. they'll get laughed at, and Cashman will hang up the phone. But right. then they will say, okay, we want three of like Glaber Torres, Jorge Mateo, Greg, and Judge, Greg Bird, Aaron yeah. Judge, and yeah. um, Rutherford. Like we get to pick three three of those five guys. And right. if you're the Yankees, you have to really ask yourself: Are we going to win in the next? two to three years if yes then maybe i can agree bringing in chris sale but if you think that it's still question marks up in the air which is what i think i don't think you can give up that kind of depth frazier will also be in the conversation frazier, for yeah something like that. i forgot about i mean when you frazier. when you look at the trade for miller they're gonna that one's gonna be directly compared to a chris sale impact guy and in, in in fact, probably more value. So, so realistically, we're talking about three to four of the Yankees' top seven or eight prospects would have yeah. to go to the White Sox. I want nothing to do with that. Which is a huge bounty. I want nothing to do with that. At that point, now I'm thinking about scissors. Now I'm thinking about, okay, so I'm going to trade four of my top prospects that I worked my ass off to get for a guy that cut up his jersey and didn't want to play because it was too hot. Well, no, I, I don't want you. You'd have to be thinking that if that trade has to work out, the Yankees have to win a World Series with Chris Sale, or else it's a huge, huge miss. You know, with the amount of arm injuries, I've I've beaten this with like a dead horse, kind of like you and your your uh, your ace talk. But I, I just don't trust. I don't trust pitchers now to, for longevity and to to stick around for a while. I mean, I I feel like the the next arm injury is around the corner, and I'm not just talking about it for a guy who has. Uh, you know, a potential injury with Tanaka. I'm talking about for anybody. These guys are falling like they're they're dropping like flies all over the place. And I just don't trust it. Chris Hale's got some funky, funky deliveries going on. Who knows what's going on in that elbow? And I don't know. He's what is he? 27, 28. Is he 28? He's up yeah, for 20s, he's in, right? He's in the range of Tanaka. And he's got a lot of a lot of innings on that arm. Um, but what about what about like a, a jump down from Chris Sale? So I'm I'm looking at the guy that I think that they're gonna go after, and this is very Cashman like because he had a down year. Is um, and now of course I can't think of his freaking name from Oakland. Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray. Thank you. That's the guy that I could see Cashman he had going a real after. Down year. He had a horrible year. Oh yeah, the Cashman's loving every second of that. What about he's go after. what about Quintana from the White Sox? Definitely gonna require less than Chris Sale, but. He doesn't have the resume Chris Sale does, and it, it's kind of annoying because he was once in the Yankee system. I mean, the dude was in every system, kind right. of like uh, Rich Hill, who we'll get to in a second. But um, what if going for a guy like Quintana, who is not your quote-unquote number one ace pitcher, but he's a pretty damn good 1A pitcher. You don't yeah, need, we, already, we already got one of those. We already you don't got need, an ace, but what so I'm we'll, saying is you don't need, uh, need Bumgarner to win in the playoffs. Right. It's nice, but you don't need it. But you probably need more than just Masahiro Tanaka to win in the playoffs. No doubt. I, and I think that that level is the guy that they're going to be going after. I think they're going to be going after more of the two and three guy. And so while Sonny do... Gray could be a number one, he didn't prove it last year. And I think there's more potential of him being that stud at some point. Uh, you know, or you know, he's a very good rebound candidate. For uh, especially for Cashman, I, I could see that. I could really see that going down. And I think at that point, you're giving up like a top guy and then some some window dressing. Well, you first 
say to Billy Bean that you gave the Blue Jays Josh Donaldson, so will you please give us Sonny Gray? And he'll say no. And then he'll probably ask for two of your top ten prospects, and then do you say yes? And then he said, and we also have uh, Billy Bean, which I really, or Billy, uh, Billy Butler. I really appreciate you paying his contract while he was on. That was fun. Right. Forgot about and that. And you're, you're still paying him a lot of money. We can give him back to you. Although we don't control him. No, I don't know. Yeah, he's going to ask for two. I don't know if he's going to get two, especially after what happened last He'll year. He'll get two from one team because people will look at last year as the aberration for Sonny Gray. And because it really is, if you look at his numbers. He's another one of those guys that, you know, small in who, stature. Who isn't? Who isn't? I, I know, I know. But but he looks like the he looks like the guy that's going to get hurt. I mean, with every second. ace pitcher, other than literally Madison Bumgarner, who is a horse out there, dude's like 6'5 and, and jacked from just chopping wood all season, uh, you, you're scared of all your pitchers. I mean, Clayton that's Kershaw got injured this year. That's why it's such a difficult, that's Everyone why I have such a hard injured. time. Trading for these guys with all of your prospects. Yeah, I have I mean, a very difficult Cashman time said. doing that. Cashman said it's a risky proposition, but yeah. but they're not on the free agent market. You're not touching any of the pitchers on the free agent market, most likely. Right. Actually, well, let's talk about one of them. Next voicemail comes from Alex in Arizona. Hey, guys. This is Alex calling from Northern Arizona. Really enjoy the show. Really enjoy listening to you guys and keep up the kids this season. Um, been reading some of the uh, off-season stories here. It looks like a big rumor is that the Yankees are in for Rich Hill. Not a big fan of another stopgap, old-school, old-guy pitcher. I uh, wonder what your guys' take on it was. Go Yanks. All right. Thank you, Alex. He's asking about Rich Hill, the soft-tossing, soon-to-be 37-year-old, blister-having Rich Hill. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Buster only wrote something that the Yankees' top priority in the offseason should be Rich Hill, that he's going to be looking for like a two- to three-year contract, and it would be perfect for the Yankees because it's not a long-term commitment, but he would instantly shoot to the top of their rotation uh, along with Tanaka as uh, a one and two, somewhere in that range. Uh, and, I mean, the numbers on the on Hill over the last year and a half are ridiculous, but, I mean, the dude is going to be 37 years old. And he didn't really have that great of a start in game two of the playoffs. Um, so I, I just think Rich Hill is like, if, if we're going to be counting on Rich Hill, 37-year-old Rich Hill next year, that worries me. Yeah, where's Hiroki Kuroda when you need him? I mean, this is a guy that I would rather bring back on a one-year deal. Still I don't know. in Japan. Yeah, I know, and and he would probably be effective. I, I just I, – I agree I agree with Alex. I'm not on board with the guy that's just going to be you know a, a, quick, a quick fix or quote fix. I mean, if he even is that – He's getting blisters. Does that mean he has soft skin and just, just can't can't handle the longevity of uh, of a season? Like it's weird. It's weird that you're still getting you're still getting blisters and you don't have like calluses. I, I gotta believe all these guys have like like ridiculous calluses on their hands. But I, I don't know. I, he's not a guy I want. I don't want him on my team because we have everybody who's young. I'm not bringing a 37 year old pitcher. Talking about blisters. It's the bottom damn line. Yeah, I don't want a freaking guy who gets blisters who's 37 years old. I'm almost 37. If I get a blister from working in the yard, that's one thing. But a, professional pitcher getting blisters and that's what you do i want no biz- i want nothing to do with you he throws no, i don't want he I don't throws want like him. the highest percentage of curveballs anyone's thrown in the history of baseball it's ridiculous and he throws them overhand three quarters sidearmed all he does is throw curveballs i was at a wedding in dc this weekend and on sunday afternoon i was at a bar for that game game two of the nationals dodger series and this was in the first couple innings where rich hill was striking everyone out and there was a dude at the bar who's a nats fan just livid 
hit the freaking curveball. Sit on the curveball. It was hilarious to watch. It made me jealous that I'm not as pumped up for postseason baseball because the Yankees aren't in it. But at the same time, we're talking about a guy who is just throwing junk up there. And I that sometimes does not play in crunch time. It does not play in the postseason. No, I mean, I there's so many guys now that have a hard time with the off-speed pitches. It seems like more and more they're, they're, they're just, these, these guys are just groomed to hit the fastball. But when you have a guy like that who can change position, change speeds, throw from different arm angles like you're talking about, the, the 30 different curveballs, and, and paint, then you're going to have a, a difficult time with him. So I just don't – I just I have no other reason besides the fact that I just don't want him because I don't want another old guy coming in and with like relatively high expectations and then getting blisters or getting hurt because he's 37 years old. It just – it doesn't make sense. Baseline. Not for this team. I this is just my opinion. I've not read this anywhere, but I think baseline contract for Rich Hill is going to be what R.A. Dickey got as an extension a couple years ago. Two years, twenty-five million dollars. I think that's going to be baseline. I think he's going to get more like two years, thirty to thirty-five million dollars. So yeah. it's a lot of money for a guy who could just miss half the season. I want nothing to do with that. I want nothing to do with that. I like I like the the trade route for a two-three guy. You can you can kind of pick and choose who you want a little bit more. You're not getting forced into what this free agent class is giving you. That's the I think that's the the biggest thing when GMs get forced into a free agent class and they have no other options. Oh, that's, that's when you worst. start signing. Yeah, and that's when you see these rich hill guys getting like you said two years, thirty million dollars. It's ridiculous, and that's not the position that we're in right now. We do have assets. We do have a lot of assets that can be turned into something more usable that fits this team currently. And that's what I think Cashman should do. I would rather see them, like you said, go for a three to five guy in the rotation and then see where this team is in June and July. If this team has a real shot to go deep in the playoffs and then you want to trade for a number one ace, I would be okay with that. But to do it now where you don't know what this young team is going to do, they could come out and fall flat on their face and then you traded away a lot of your prospects for a number one pitcher which doesn't really help you in 2017. So I would almost rather wait. I know the price even goes up mid-season, but I think that you can sort of have the luxury of waiting if you're the Yankees right now. I mean, we saw how much the price went up. The price went up a ridiculous amount with the haul that we got. So it would be kind of ironic if we were to wait at that point and then go after a guy and and basically everything happened to us that, that, uh, that we were the beneficiaries of this year. So... It'll be interesting, but if the Yankees are in a position, I would definitely would not put it past them to uh, to make a, a big splash midseason. All right, let's go to the next voicemail. This one is from Scott in Ottawa. We've got a listener north of the border, and he's a long, a first-time long-time. Hey, guys. Uh, Scott in Ottawa here. First-time long-time. Uh, just want to thank you guys for uh, another great season of podcast, and congratulations on your next episode, which is number... 100. You guys are the best. Uh, my question is, let me think. Yeah, uh, what is your all-time favorite uh, New York Yankee free agent pickup? All right, guys. Uh, you told me to keep it short, so I will. And uh, pretty sure I, I don't even know my international rate because I'm in Canada. So I'll just hang up now. Uh, go Yankees. Gotta love the first time, long times. I appreciate Scott. Who is my? Uh, we, we've definitely talked to Scott before. He's sending some mailbags before, and I've talked to you on Twitter uh, occasionally too. But the first, you were the first first time long time. I didn't even know that was a thing 
for us until you said it, and it made us happy. I believe it might just be you doing a Canadian accent. Maybe. Bizarro Scott. Bizarro Scott in Canada, yeah. Um, he asks, this is uh, more of a question about looking back on, on the history of the Yankees. He asks our all-time favorite free agent pickup. Who are you going with? All right, so I'm cheating a little bit, but this is a this is a guy that was a free agent technically, but El Duque, Orlando Hernandez, still one of my all time favorite Yankees. Love watching the guy pitch. Probably one of the the top pitchers that uh, you know I could watch just pitch every day. I, he was he was so awesome to watch. Just paint the corners with a different. I mean, I guess kind of like Rich Hill, where he would no, where he would change nothing like Rich Hill. Would, I know, but he would change he would change speeds. He would change arm angles. He would paint the corners. He had that Ephus pitch that would just make people look stupid. Uh, he was a big game pitcher. He was awesome, and you know that was that was probably my uh, one of my favorite Yankees. And I'll, I'll have to go with as I look back to my favorite free agent signing. It's funny because you look back at the free agent signings, and most of them came after two thousand one with the Giambi and Mike Messina signings, and. Those guys didn't win World Series, so it's kind of you have kind of like bittersweet memories about them. I mean, I love Musina when he didn't get that perfect game at Fenway Park, and I believe it was 2002, and freaking Carl Everett got that hit off of him. I was so angry. I hated Carl Everett. So obviously Musina's up there, but he didn't win, so it's hard to put a guy who didn't win on your all-time list. So it's tough. I'm trying to think, but. Um, I did enjoy Johnny Damon signing, and I know you're not going to like that. Ugh. And the reason I, I liked it is over because, over Tino. Uh, Tino was not a free agent signing; they was traded. Not? They traded for Tino. You're right; they did trade for Tino. <laughs> I forgot about that whole thing. Uh, but um, but Johnny Damon because they took him away from the Red Sox, and uh, he did win a World Series. Uh, I'll never forget him stealing that base in, in Game Four of the World Series in Philly. Uh, and then going to third, going first to third on that stolen base. Look, Johnny Damon had his moments, and I appreciated what he did as a Yankee. It was just very difficult. I hated him so much that it was very difficult to get rid of that hatred. And, you know, when you make such an abrupt change from the guy that you hate to a guy that you're supposed to like and, and root for, it's very hard. And, and it was like the height of emotions, and I was – I. I drank a lot at that time. It was just very, I, I was very stuck in my ways at that point. And Johnny Damon, I think, came into to my life at a very difficult position where I just couldn't root for him. Uh, the Yankees, I just realized, are on kind of a trajectory where they just sign Red Sox ex center fielders Johnny Damon, then Jacoby Ellsbury. So, like 2020, they're going to be signing Jackie Bradley Jr. to a ridiculous contract. Nice. All right, guys, thank you for the voicemails. We got three of them this week. Let's keep it going in the offseason. Uh, I think it's just you know, better than us trying to read out loud, which is what we're going to do right now. This uh, first one comes from Brian uh, Lujan. He says, hey, guys, I was just wondering what offseason moves, if, if any, you think we should make for next year. Trade Gardner, sign some rotation help, re-sign cash, uh, Chapman. I also was wondering what team you two will be rooting for in the playoffs. We touched on a lot of that stuff already. First, let's answer the playoff question, and then let's talk about trading Gardner. Who's your team in the playoffs? I, I guess I, I want to see a Cleveland-Chicago World Series. I, in the American League, am rooting for not the Red Sox. And in the National League, I am rooting for the Giants, even though it looks like they are going to go down to the Cubs. 
I just kind of like the fact that the Cubs haven't won in 108 years. I think it's funny. It is kind of funny. I I think it's been a long. I don't hate them, so I I think at some point oh, it's got to. I have no hatred for the Cubs, but don't yeah. you think it'll take away? It's kind of one of those fun baseball things where there's a team that hasn't won since many many people were born and died. 108 years, more than a lifetime, they have not won a World Series. I think it's just one of those weird baseball things that's kind of fun. I mean, it was the same thing with the Red Sox when they hadn't won. I mean, it was a long, long, long time, and. Yeah, we saw what happened to them. They they got cocky and now they're 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 a nuisance. It was a lot more fun, and I hated them. So it was it was even more fun because all of their fans were miserable, and it was at the peak of the Yankees in my lifetime. So it was it was tremendous. But I just I I don't, I don't have the same feeling for Chicago. I just feel bad for them sometimes. So I I kind of want them to win. And I think it's a fun city. I got no, I got nothing against the people in Chicago. I want them to see a winner. I wouldn't be upset if they win, but. Yeah. You know. All right, trading Gardner. Pen, yes, they, you have to do it. They're going to have to do it, even if you get fifty cents on the dollar. Yes, he doesn't have a spot on this team next year. There's too I, many I think, outfielders. I, think, I don't think. I think he's still better option than Aaron Hicks. Maybe. Come on. Yeah. Oh yeah, Aaron Hicks. That was a, you, that was a, that was a, that wasn't fair. That was a not, that was unfair what you just did. But but is he a better option than than Ref Snyder or? Or is he a better option than um, yeah. you know Mason Williams coming up? Or is he a better? I don't know. Yes. I, I would rather he's see better, a young he's guy. a better player than those guys. I, I'm I'd not be, saying I'd be at, upset at this moment right now, but I just don't see him on this team. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't be upset if Gardner is traded. But what I'm saying is the Yankee. He's a better player than he's a better left fielder than Rob Ref Snyder and Mason Williams. I mean, that's just it's not I mean, anything against those guys. I mean, he, Gardner's not a bad player. I agree. I I think at this point they have. You know, with with everything that is is coming up and their their plans being on the very forefront of of everything, getting the young guys the playing time, I think it's just time to part ways. And yeah, and I think there's going to be a lot of teams. And I think you know you're talking about fifty cents on the dollar, but I actually think there'll be competition for Brett Gardner yeah. because he is that type of player. And and maybe you could jockey. You're not going to get down a year. Lot. He had a down year. You're not going to get a lot for him. No, but it's kind of one of those things where. The biggest benefit is almost the fact that it opens up spots for other people. You're not moving Jacoby Ellsbury. It's it's just an immovable contract. So if you can move Gardner to free up some space um, and then maybe even move, start transitioning Ellsbury over to left field because I think he's probably a better left fielder than center fielder at this point, especially with his arm, then that's kind of addition by subtraction. Well, and you know the the way that we were talking about Gardner getting moved at the trade deadline too is, I think, a very solid option for the offseason where he's thrown into a package as as the major league guy who's ready to contribute right now. So that's a very big option, I think. If they're if they are going to go after some kind of a pitcher, uh, you know, adding a whole bunch of prospects and then cherry on top, oh, we'll give you a left fielder. I can see that happening as, as well. All right, thank you for the mailbag. Uh, that one was from Brian. So what do we have up next? Next one is from Greg. So prospects can quickly become suspects. Why not sell high now? Tell the Angels that they could pick any three prospects within reason. If you take Torres, you can't have Frazier. From our system for Mike Trout. The Angels are garbage. They need to rebuild, and they don't want to pay Trout while they're rebuilding. Bring Trout home and shift Ellsbury to the left. Deal Gardner, what are your thoughts? The Yankees would literally have to trade their top 15 prospects to get Mike Trout. <laughs> Do we have top 15? Does that 
Is that a thing? I guess it is, but do you, do you have how, to give up a lot. Remember how ridiculous the, we just said the bounty would be for Chris Sale? Times that by a thousand, and that's what you get for Mike Trout. I mean, he is without question the best player in the game today, and he might be the best player in the game ever when he's when it's all said and done. Yeah, he does have a big contract, so that might be something. Yeah, and the Angels it, don't care about money; they're still paying Josh Hamilton. That's true. Yeah, they 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 paid him a lot of money for nothing. Right? They don't care but, about money, especially when he's an MVP candidate every year, and he's no, twenty four years it's, old. It's an absolute valid point. Yeah, he's very young still. That's the thing that's that people I think forget sometimes, just because he's been around for so long. He's so young. He's what twenty four? He said. Yeah. He's he's a young dude. So yeah, we'd have to give up a ton. I think that. Um, so is Aaron Judge older than than Mike Trout? Yeah, they're close, right? So yeah, they're, the Yankees have to give up a ton. I just don't see it happening. Uh, Mike Trout is twenty five years old, so he's 25. a year older than than Judge. But still, I mean, he's been in the league for five years. The the this is honestly what you'd be trading for Mike Trout. It would be Gary Sanchez would be the center. You'd probably have to give up another four of your top ten prospects with Gary Sanchez in the deal. Yeah, because they got nothing to lose. Right. And then they would say to themselves, okay, we can build around Gary Sanchez and this other core group of players. But I honestly think that's what it would take. Yeah, not worth it. Um, And it still even might be worth it for a team. But, Maybe. But I just don't think... Not for right now, though. I mean, it's, we're not one player... We're not a, a guy like that away, I don't think. Um, Our pitching staff is nowhere near ready to, unless there were major moves around this also. What I'm I just don't see is, it happening. It's too big of a move. It's too big of a move. What I'm saying is that I think it would actually be a move that would work out for the team getting Trout, even if you trade away all of your good prospects, because Trout is that good. Again, they'd have to be in a position ready to go, though. Not even, like we just said, he's 25 years old. They have another, you have another seven years of his prime. Yeah, but you're, you're. You're purging your your minor leagues. So who's going to be coming up when all of your prospects are now gone? You'd have to build through free agency, and we know how well that works. Uh, yeah, it's just Mike Trout. I get it. Um, another rumor that I saw we posted, and I saw it really start from a Pittsburgh beat reporter, was that the Pirates might be looking to trade Andrew McCutcheon. And I remember you laughed at me when I suggested this back in July. But um, first of all, Remind me why I laughed at you. I don't remember the the whole scenario. I don't know. I I think it was because you just didn't think that they would be trading <laughs> their their franchise player. But yeah, yeah. he's an aging franchise player who is up at the end of next year. I know he has an option for 2018, and the Pirates are kind of spiraling down. They had they had their shot, and now it looks like the Cubs are going to be running that division for the foreseeable future, and the Pirates are kind of just hovering. They're not getting any better. But they got Ivan Nova though, so they they did their starting rotation yeah, solid now. He's a free agent. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they are a team that's that's in a, in a very strange position with because the Cubs are so dominant and so good, and they will be for a long time. They're they're in a unique situation. I, you know, McCutcheon scares me a little bit. I, I love the player, I really do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Andrew McCutcheon. I, I know he had a down year this year, but. He's just he's just that type of guy. He's a winner. He's, he feels like a winner. He's a he's a good good dude. He's a, a plus defender, plus bat. He's he's a great guy to have. He's on your not team. really that great at anything. He's just good at a lot of That's stuff. That's why I say he's plus plus. Yeah, he's a plus guy. Like McCutcheon is one of those guys over the last five years that I've 
known about because he's a good player and he was always Pittsburgh's best player. But you were never like, oh, shit, Andrew McCutcheon is coming to the plate right now. I just don't think – I mean, you're still going to have to give up a ton of prospects for this guy. And I, I don't think – What is he? He's 30 years old? You're going to have to give up – I think he's 29. You're going to have to give up a decent amount of prospects. But he's locked up for 17 at $14 million and then 18 for an option for 14.75. I, I mean, I think that it's kind of like you said with – The money's okay. You said with um, with uh, Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray? Yeah, you're buying low on him because he had a really, really bad year this year. Like dreadfully bad this year. Yeah, I'm looking up his numbers to see what how bad it really was. Really bad. You're going to be like, oh, wow. 256, 80 RBIs, 25 home runs. That's like he would be the best player on the Yankees this year. <laughs> but but uh, I know you, you don't like this kind of stuff, but he actually had – he gave up the most runs defensively out of center, any center fielder in the league this year. All right. Well, he wouldn't – don't put him in center field. Uh, those numbers aren't – if those are your worst numbers ever, because every year before that I'm looking, he's at 290, 300 uh, – He's he's never he's actually never had a hundred RBIs. That's surprising. But he's a twenty home run guy, twenty to twenty five home run guy. He's a really good player. Really good player. You're seeing a lot of these this type of player though. The only difference to me is the average. He's hitting for average, and the Yankees do need a guy like that. I, I don't know. It depends on what what they're asking. I guess. That's, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I, I would love to. I would love to see him on the team because I think he's a great. He would be a very. He would be a perfect veteran to mix in with these guys to take them to the promised land. I'll say have, that you'd have to. I think. You. I mean, obviously, you'd have to trade either Gardner or Ellsbury at that point. But you'd almost have to give those guys away just to clear spot. Fine. <laughs> okay. Done. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying it's a lot. Done. I'm not even saying that you. Ha- it's like it's hard. It's gonna be hard to do. No, it's it's not an easy move. I think all of, all these all the moves that we've talked about so far are complex because you're giving up a lot of minor leaguers. I don't think the major league guys are the ones that you're you're talking about like ditching contracts too. I, I don't think the Yankees have as much of a problem with that as we think they do. I could see them ditching uh, a guy, not maybe not a Ellsbury this year, but next year I could see it. I could see them walking away from Headley this year. I could see that as a as a true option and eating that money. And eating Listen, that money, I still yeah. think they want to get under that luxury tax. And if they bring in a $15 million player like Andrew McCutcheon, that means someone needs to go off the roster who's making around $15 bucks. whether that's Brett Gardner or Chase Headley or half of Jacoby Ellsbury, whatever it is. Well, how does it work, though, if they just get rid of them and they're still paying them? They're still... The, still the, that doesn't hit the tax? Yeah, it does. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So what's the difference if they... They're not going to get anybody to eat that money. So then they're not going to bring in more salary. So you're saying that? Well, I mean, my point is, is that even if you get rid of those guys, you're not eating, you're, the salary doesn't go away. So you'd have so to then trade, You're saying that it doesn't happen. And I'm you have saying to trade, it you have only to trade happens. It only happens if they can find a team to trade either Brian McCann, Chase Headley, and take the money, Kobe Ellsbury, or Brett Gardner, and take around the same money that they'd be bringing in a guy like Andrew McCutcheon for. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it's complex. It's it's uh. I agree with you that, that they want to be under the And under I, the cap. I agree. This is the time to get under the luxury tax because yes. you're you're in a rebuilding, retooling mode. Get under that luxury tax. It resets, and then come the big, huge free agents when Machado and Harper and all those guys are free agents. Go nuts. I, I think that's exactly what's going down. I just have a, I have a difficult time seeing that money get taken. That's going to be the hard part is take it. You getting rid of them and 
and getting enough money back in return from some of these guys, the Headleys or the Ellsbury. I, I think Ellsbury's off the table this year. And then and then being able to to still stay under it. It's gonna be that we need a capologist. <laughs> I don't think those exist in baseball because it is really no cap. Um, all right. Thanks everyone for the mailbag questions and voicemails. Keep them coming. You can submit at bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. The voicemail line is six four six four eight zero zero three four two. Tweet us at Yankees Podcast at Andrew underscore Rotondi and at Scott Reinen. Scott, I don't know what's going on in the Red Sox game. I'm going to turn it on right now, and I'm going to be really happy if they're getting crushed. But while I do that, do you have any last words? Four to two is the last time I saw it. Yeah, I do. Next next, uh, next week is going to be our 100th episode, and that's a big deal. I've had just so, so much fun over the past two years doing this show, and the fact that we've done now next week will be 100 shows is is crazy. Um we have a lot of guys who who participate on, on you know on Twitter and talk to us, send in mailbags. Really appreciate all of you guys. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this if there wasn't anybody listening. We know you're listening. We've seen the 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 numbers. We see the the all the interaction coming in. Um, we'd love some some comments or thoughts or anything that you got for our next show. It's going to be a special show, 100. Send in some voicemails for us. Um, 30 seconds. Give us your hot take. And uh, let's let's uh, kick off the next century with a bang. I'm, I'm pumped up for it. It's going to be a big episode. That's great. And yeah, and even in one of those voicemails, I believe it was Scott in Ottawa mentioned that it's our 100th episode. If you guys are listening and you've been listening to us, whether it's a week, 10 weeks, 50 weeks, or 100 weeks, uh, I wonder if there's anyone out there that has actually listened to all 100. That'd be pretty sweet. Uh, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Like that legit does help us a ton. Because if if we get five star ratings and and comments, then we shoot up the boards in iTunes and all and all the places you can get podcasts. And the more this grows, the more content and the better guests and all that kind of stuff that we can give you guys. And that's obviously what we're aiming for. So everything's got said about a hundred episodes. It's crazy that it went by that fast. And definitely thank all the listeners. So. Next time we talk to you, it'll be number 100. Have a good week, everyone. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com